What's up, everybody? I have a few things planned for you. Sarudi is back in Bristol. I'm in L.A. And I was watching Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, the Alec Baldwin scene, which is the all-timer. And I just started laughing. I just started laughing again when he's like, the leads are weak, you're weak. Because that's kind of what life is, right? You're either the guy going, hey, these leads aren't, you know, it's not me, it's the leads. And Baldwin's like, nope, second set. Second prize, set of steak times. Is that a good so, movie? Like, is it, I have not seen it. I don't know. You hate everything that's like no, less than no, four I don't, years I don't like old. So. I mean, that's, that is true. What is the 80s? Um, well, it's originally a play. Yeah, I think it's... My guess, if I go back, I'm going to say late 80s. I'm going to say that's when it came out film, But it was a play. And the original... Well, 1992. All right, so off a couple of years. Um, the play doesn't have that scene in there. So the original part of it. And then I actually watched Glengarry. I went to go see it again with Pacino. I think that was six years ago when I went to see it on Broadway. And it's probably, I think I've seen three things on Broadway ever. And that was one where I was like, that's it. I'm getting in the car. I'm going. And Pacino doesn't play the cool character in the Broadway version that I saw. He plays the Jack Lemmon character, uh, Shelley Levine, who's just washed as a sales guy. And you've never done sales, right, Srudy? Never. No, I'd be terrible at it. Um, here's the game plan, by the way. We got Chauncey Billups, Mr. Big Shot, aka Big Smooth. I love looking up people's nicknames on basketball reference. You know, that's something I do. So we're going to spend about 20 minutes with him. We're going to get his favorite point guard in the NBA, rapid fire with some other guys, his Larry Brown stories. I love Chauncey. So excited for that. I also am going to tell you, I'm going to do a little story time that is about the industry that we're going to do on the back end. So some people are going to enjoy it. Others won't. So don't worry about it. And then I also have a pitch for the podcast, something that I'm thinking about doing. I've been thinking about doing some version of this for a while, and then maybe I'll do some sports here in the beginning before we get Chauncey. But you've never done sales. You said you'd be bad. I would agree. I think you'd be terrible at it. And that's okay. Oh, why? I mean, I think I'd be terrible. I'm just not. You just wouldn't want to sell to no, people. I wouldn't like care enough. I know. No, but I, I don't even know that it's a knock on you. It, it may in a weird way be a compliment that you wouldn't want to. Okay, so... Of, I won't call this guy a friend. It's somebody who I worked for, okay? And he unfortunately treated the job like a used car that didn't run, and I was the guy potentially buying the car, but he did that to my career. So he would sell me on anything, and when he would talk to me about sales, he would say, you know, whenever you're trying to sell a car to somebody, you accentuate all the positives. If they say they don't like this color, then you tell them the color they want is actually bad, but try to find ways to do it and make it positive. You would just not want to do any of that stuff because you wouldn't want to deceive. I feel like I just, yeah, I think everything's kind of dumb anyway. And I, and <laughs> yeah, not, I, my general outlook on life is just like, oh, like this is dumb or whatever, you know. And if I'm, I couldn't fake it to someone's face. I couldn't yeah. be that guy who can just tell you why, how, you know, how awesome this terrible car is. Yeah, the only way, but you're competitive. So what if you were in a group and it was the only job you could get? Yeah, I'm would sure I'd want... figure it out. I'm, you know, I'd figure it out. I don't know if I'd be like, you know. Would you feel leading... bad being the worst salesman? I would, in your I would hate it. Yeah, I would, I would, yeah, it would bother me. But then I might try to find another career and just say this wasn't for me. What if you had to though? You, this is it. Yeah, I would die fi- or sell. I would sell. I would, I would sell, sell, sell. But I don't think I don't. It would be really hard transition for me because it'd be everything against who I am as a person. Right, because like if you go buy a car, okay, and you know people hate it. And I like it. I, I've said, you know, why maybe I've had problems with agents in the past is that I like, I want to know where I'm at. 
I want to know what someone's saying about me. It's my life. It's my deal. So you can help, but tell me everything, even the stuff I don't want to hear. And I like the confrontation and I like the confrontation of the selling of the car. And when somebody goes, Oh, you know, I just hate it. So, you know, you go in, you first thing they'll say is like, will you admit the car that you want is worth more than the car that you have? And you're like, okay, yeah, that's obviously if I'm getting rid of this car and things are going all right, then I want a better car. Like, okay, would you agree that, you know, and then I would say, well, I'm actually looking at a different one. And then he would go, which one are you looking at? He'd be like, well, I'm looking at this one, but I'm looking at it in black. He'd be like, black, good luck keeping that clean. You know, and it's just, it's every single trick. And if you did it all day, every day for years, what seems almost like just those guys being salesmen, they don't even feel like they're doing anything wrong. It's performance to them. And that's how you get the job done. And that's why I always think back to like different sales jobs that I had. I had to sell small business health insurance. I had to sell group tickets and ad space. And I remember early on being like, these leads suck. <laughs> you know, cause they could, and then you start to figure out like, nope, it's not the leads. Now some leads are good. Some leads are bad, but Alec Baldwin didn't believe that. So that's my Alec Baldwin lesson. Will Kane would be good with bad leads. You think so? I, I, yeah. yeah. He's, he's too controversial to be, to do sales though, right? I don't know. No, I think if, Will Kane came to your town and he had to sell some. He would smooze you. Yeah, it's some some you know tornado policies. <laughs> yeah. He would. Will would figure out. I'm really enjoying the Will Kane radio show. I'm going to oh. say that. I was listening a lot today, and I like how you've. And I, I really feel like maybe the department deserves credit for it, or maybe you guys deserve credit for not listening to the department. But it's so great how everybody's just zinging each other the whole time. And that's what it always should have been. You know, the department was always down on non, on air guys talking on air unless it was Levitard show. But this is awesome. Like it's in for Will to be by himself. I I just really like the groove you guys are in. You know, a year into doing this show, I think you guys should be really proud of it. Thank you. I mean, sometimes I feel like we are just kind of going nowhere as far as like conversation wise. Like today, we had some weird conversations. Uh, yeah, I caught some of that. On. But, yeah, I didn't even like know, that. There's some there's, hits and there's some misses, but you know we like to think that they're mostly hits. Yeah, when you were doing these legal battles with phone calls, like I thought that sucked. But, oh God, Glickman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you need to have. Yeah, you need to have those downs to. You know, you should just have the freedom to to screw up a segment or a show, knowing that the payoff is is much greater than the down moments. So it just kind of dawned on me the last few days of listening to the show how much I really like the show. And it's not like I disliked it at first. And I think as much as anybody ever tries to ask, I have zero animosity about any of that stuff. I don't, I'm pumped for you guys, but I just, I hope people that listen to this podcast that you know who you are and I appreciate your support, but you hated Will just because. <laughs> oh, there's plenty of those guys, but some of them right. are coming around. We've, we'll see it in the tweets. Yeah. Like I hated you. I was a big Rosillo guy and like, yeah. you're okay now. I tune yeah. in once a week. I think it's a good show. I, I really do. And I'm, I'm, Happy to call you guys friends. So anyway, here's a guy. Um, we're going to get to Chauncey Billups here in a bit. But first, a word from Dollar Shave Club. I love that Dollar Shave Club has everything I need to look, feel, and smell my best. What I love even more is the fact that I never have to go to a store. That's because Dollar Shave Club delivers everything I need right to my door. And two, they keep me fully stocked on what I use so I don't run out. Here's how it works. Dollar Shave Club has everything you need to get ready no matter what. And honestly, I finally fixed my shipping thing on my Dollar Shave Club deal. I don't know what's going on at the house in Connecticut. I think my renters have been just hooked up with all sorts of shaving and bathroom gear. 
So they probably left that part out of the rent check, being like, this guy has no idea that all this Dollar Shave Club stuff is showing up every single month. And I finally got my first new box from Dollar Shave Club just this past week, and I'm pumped. I'm like, oh, right, this is what I was missing. So they have this new program where they automatically keep you stocked up on all the products that you use. You determine what you want and when you want it, and it shows up right at your door from once a month to once every six months. So that's what I do. I have a bunch of the different products come in, if I'm low on something, it's nice. Like even if I feel like I'm doubling up a little bit because I was getting low on stuff, I know that I'm never going to be in a position where I don't know. Grow up, guys. Do you really want to run out of toothpaste and go? Hey, before we can do anything today, I have to drive to CVS. I don't think you want to do that. Dollar Shave Club takes care of it for you. Set it up once a month. Set it up longer than that. If you want to get this done, you can use their handsome discount. The more you buy, the more you save. And right now, they get a bunch of starter sets you can try for just $5, like their oral care kit. After that, the restock box ships regularly sized products at regular price. So what are you waiting for? Get your starter set for just $5 right now at dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash Ryan. Chauncey Billups. Chauncey, like a lot of seasons, and I think more and more now, we just see uh, the, everything we talk about is, is guys moving on and trying to figure it all out, and this summer looks like it could be epic when it comes to that. I want to start with Kyrie because you know Boston was never on his list. They did the deal because they knew they had two years of his contract. They felt like they were going to sell him on the franchise. That's what they've done in the past. That was their game plan with Anthony Davis. And now it feels like ever since that statement of him saying, if you'll have me back, I'd, I'd love to resign here. And then all of the stuff that's happened since then doesn't seem like the dude's down with Stan. So how do you read this whole Kyrie situation? You know what? I just think, uh, I, uh, I, first of all, I was surprised when he said it. And I didn't know if he just got caught up in the emotion of the event. But I was really, really surprised um, that he had went there and pretty much committed to him. <laughs> yeah, that was weird, uh, in my right? Opinion. And then, and then he put it in reverse, and it was like, nah, this is, you know, <laughs> nah, I, I was, I was just, I was surprised, you know. Um, but you know what it tells me, though, Ryan, is this: like, to me, he's not happy there. You know, um, you go through the season, they've underachieved. Um, it just doesn't seem like a lot of synergy and, and, and harmony with, with the squad, like that. So it's basically. To me, it's him saying, I'm just, I'm not sold on this situation. And I don't know if that's, you know, the, the team. I don't know if that's him. It's a great point by you, maybe getting caught up in the emotion. Maybe he was calculated in a way where he's like, the best thing for me to do is be all in, even if I'm not, just to get everybody off my back. And it did work for a while. I've always right. felt like Boston was very confident about being able to keep him. But maybe that's just the yep. message that they've told everybody. Um, or others, you know, that I've talked to were just like, nah, he never, he never planned on staying. And I think what happens there is if you're Boston and you think Kyrie's out the door, I actually don't think you can trade for Anthony Davis then with one year left on his deal. I, I think it, it actually costs them in a way two players if they have the ability to even get Davis. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, I, I think it'd be risky, you know, obviously it'd be risky, but. I mean, if you can get it done, obviously, this summer and with, with an understanding that AD is willing to sign an extension, I mean, it's a home run, even losing Kyrie. But, you know, you look at the way that they play, um, you know, they're, they're – they're, and it's, it's crazy to say this, Ryan, but they're fine without Kyrie. You know what I'm saying? I think Brad is like a system coach and a very good one. And his system is kind of like ball movement, people movement, uh and they play that way almost better, you know, 
for that system when, when Kai is not really there. How does a system, you know, every coach has a plan, right? But when I watch Golden State and I go, you know what I love is I love that the shooters keep moving and they find open outlets to people. It's this constant motion. And then you watch other teams and, and they don't do that. And I wonder, you know, of all your years of playing, like what system do you think makes the most sense? How have the systems changed in just the style of play? And why is it that there still feels yeah. like there's teams of 30 that don't have things that are as dangerous system-wise? Yeah, it's all, it's all, it's Ryan, it's all based on personnel. You know, in my opinion, it's, it's all about kind of the personnel. You have to kind of make up your system based on what you have, the talent that you have. Like, for instance, you know, Phil Jackson always made up his, uh, he always made up his, you know, the triangle offense never really needed a point guard. They didn't run a ton of pick and roll. So they needed a good ISO player. And it was good to, you know, obviously that they had Shaq was, was a big, but in Chicago, they didn't have that. You know, they kind of used Scotty and, and Michael as the playmakers, primary playmaker. So you can kind of plug and play in certain systems. You look at John Stockton and Malone and them, you know, they, Stone, uh, excuse me, Sloan kept that with D. Will and Boozer. And, you know, so, you know, any system, all of, uh, the biggest thing that you just have to go get, go find that kind of talent that you know will relish the opportunity for that system. You can't just like, put any kind of talent together and be like, all right, cool, we're going to run this. This is the system we want. Well, that the talent makeup maybe doesn't, you know, it's not good to run that. So it's just kind of tough. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a thin line, but, uh, you know, it, it just kind of is what it is. Who's your favorite point guard in the league? <sighs> I mean, it's, Point guard, I would say my favorite right now is Stephen, Stephen Dame. Are my two favorite point guards in the league right now. Would you have even called Steph a point guard <laughs> a couple years ago? Yeah, I do. Just, have you given up? I do. On... Nah, I still think he's a point guard. Like Steph is, you know, he can really pass. He passes with both hands. You know, can he score? Yeah, like, but that's this this new age point guard, like scoring point guards, but. To me, I mean, he does everything a point guard does when he runs pick and rolls. He makes the right reads. You know what I mean? Like, he's he's just such a great shooter that he don't get the credit for his playmaking. But in my opinion, Steph's playmaking is really what fuels that deadly offense. Because when you double him, he makes the right play or he gets off of it at the right time. Like, he don't over-dribble. He don't over – he doesn't overdo anything. He plays right. And to me, that's a point guard. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's it's changed and it, and it feels weird from the days of. Like, did you have times early in your career where you had coaches that told you they didn't even want you to try to score? Man, big time, big time. I mean, I, I came around at the uh, uh, generation too early. You look <laughs> at the game today, like I was a, a scoring three point shooting point guard. Man, that's the best point guards in the game today. You know, so I, and and look, I, I did good. And I'm happy and proud of my career, but. My game would have been tailor made for this, just running up and down, running pick and rolls and shooting threes. Yeah. And breaking down pick and roll, like like breaking down, like making whatever the defense mistake they make, I get to figure that out. I mean, it would have been it would have been a lot of fun. But I mean, the year we won a championship, Larry Brown, like Larry Brown hates three point shots. Me and Larry man, me and Larry went round after round, man. Because, you know, I shoot threes. He hates three-point shots. 
He wants to play slow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, we battle, man. We battle, you know. I come in the league, I was thinking – when I came in, I go to Patino and the Celtics. I'm watching them at Kentucky. All they do is run up, down, press, and shoot threes. But, I mean, my game just didn't mess with what he liked or whatever. So, I had a lot of talent, man, you know, along the road. What was the most frustrating? Who, Which coach was the most frustrating for you to play for? Larry. Larry, for sure. Which man, is crazy because it, it was – Larry, man. What's that? I lost a lot of sleep playing with Larry, for Larry. What's and, the toughest? And, you know, at the end of the day, like once once I really got to know him, yeah, like I would jump off a bridge for Larry Brown. You know what I'm saying? I love him. Like he cared. He taught me so much. But it was a lot. It was it was it was a lot of tough love there. Um, him trying to mold me. And once I got to the bottom of it, I was like, you know what? He just never coached nobody like me. I mean, Mark Jackson, Eric Snows, these guys. You know, AI had a scoring point guard. He moved him to the two. I wasn't going to the two. We had rip. You know what I mean? So I just, we just both kind of knew that I was just, he'd never coached anybody quite like me at that position. Larry was a point guard. He was a score, uh, excuse me, a pass first point guard, pass first, second, and third point guard, and then shoot. And that's what he knew. So once we finally got to the bottom of like who I am and who he is, like our relationship just flourished, and so did the team. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to hear this, although not entirely surprising. I mean, I think his frustrations with Iverson were beyond just play. It, it had a lot more mm-hmm, to do with mm-hmm. his lack of dedication to the team. But yeah. was, is there one conversation you remember in particular where you're thinking, I don't know if I can play for this guy? Because as you say this, it's also crazy to think back of how much success this team had. I mean, you guys were running the East there for right. a while. So is there one that jumps out of you where you're thinking, I, this may not work? despite? But well, yes, of course. So, so Larry takes over. And it was our fourth game. We go on a, on a on a on a East Coast no excuse me West Coast trip. We playing the Clippers, and it was his fourth game coaching us, coaching me. And dude, I had like twenty nine, ten assists, nine rebounds, two turnovers, and almost like hit the shot to win the game. And we're celebrating, running through the huddle at Staples. I look back, and Larry's like shaking his head in disgust. So I'm like, what the hell? So I, I, I go back there. and like, LP, you all right? What's up? The dude looks me in my eyes, Ryan, disgusted, and says, you have no idea how to play this position for me. Literally. I couldn't believe it. I was like, I thought I had the best game of my I, – I, I, man, I thought I was amazing. Man, he sit there and told me that, and I said – Right there, I said, oh, this this shit ain't going to work. Not like I thought I played great, and he thought I played terrible. So this is not going to work. But, again, we, we, we took a step back. We watched film together. We just – we really – we really poured into our relationship, you know. And I ended up, like like you said, most successful time of my career. Because I, I would say – I have, look, going back to Kansas and, and San Antonio and everybody yeah. that knows basketball goes, Larry's amazing. What, what happened? Like, why do, why do sometimes, I'll include myself in that, from the outside world we go, is this guy nuts though? Like, why does he want to trade everybody? Well, why is it, why is it always such a yeah. soap opera? If he's so great, if every basketball person says this guy's a genius, why is it always so weird from the outside? I think that he, I think that you know he's a great great coach, but you have to have the right 
not only personnel, but mentally you have to have the right guys in the right mental space to be able to deal with Larry. So, for instance, when he did the USA team stuff, before it even started, I said there's no chance because you need you need time <laughs> with Larry. You need like nine months, ten months, a year to even figure Larry out. And you don't you're not afforded that kind of time with USA basketball. And you've got all the best players in the league. And you got you know you just don't have that luxury. And I said, dang man, this is going to be a disaster. And that's me knowing how great of a coach LB is. But when you when you have that big ego and you feel like you want to do it your way, and LB is, you know, he wants to do it his way, which is the coach's way is the right way, for the most part, it's not going to work. So you have that, you have the Knicks situation, you have – so it, it all just kind of depends. The reason why ours worked, because we had a lot of guys with no ego that just wanted to put it together and win. You know, myself, Rip, Ben, Tay, Sheed, even she, she bowed down to Larry like he was Dean Smith. Like, we had willing participants. And that's the reason why our thing worked. And, you know, you had Rick, you were what, one year with Rick in Detroit? I was one year with Rick, yeah. Yep, Rip and I were one year with Rick. And I've always think like I look at some of the Dallas rosters over the years and go, how the hell does Rick keep these guys competitive? But then I'll hear, you know, I think Rick's terrific. But then it was weird that, oh no, this isn't going to work. Like it, it seemed like it wasn't going to work. I, I'm just, it's amazing that you played for yeah. like back to back guys that everybody respects the hell out of. But at the same time, sometimes I don't think Rick, you hear that stuff about it anymore because you know he's really settled yeah. there. But what was that like? Were they different? Were they were they the same? Yeah, guy? they were so different. They were so different. I mean, with with Rick, like. And I love playing for Rick, and he, you know, I'm forever grateful for him giving me the opportunity to really kind of reinvent myself and, you know, and bring myself back to life in the league. Um, but Rick was like, you know, we offensively it wasn't that far off the same. We we played slow. We ran a lot of plays with Rick and with Larry. Defensively, we were good with both teams. But um, I, I can. The biggest difference is in practice. I mean, we used to practice like thirty minutes with Rick. Like he was very detailed. Get right to it. Get out of there. Get off your legs. With Larry, it was like it was it was training camp all year. You know, he Larry loved practice. He would rather practice than play games. Um, but we got a lot out of it. You know, we 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 got to a point where we competed hard in practice, and the games were easy for us. But that was the biggest difference for me. But do I think that, hey, man, if we could have got Rasheed and stayed together with Rick for a couple of years, do I think we could have won it? Yeah, I do. Rick was that great of a coach. And then should we end up getting Flip Saunders on the back end of that? Another great coach. You know what I'm saying? So we, we have some great coaches over the matter of like five years, four or five years. Today's player is different, um, not just in their approach, but you know something I've been talking about the last few weeks more and more, that if you go through the top 10, 15 guys, easily more than half of them have been upset, and it's kind of the job now. I think if you're a GM, you go, all right, I may not have one of these players, but do I have enough to maybe make a swing at one of them when they decide they want to move out? I think there's a battle yeah. now going on like between, hey, good for the player calling his shot, and then really what a commitment to a team is. How do you see this for somebody who – 
had to move around, not because it was your decision, but because it was the team's decision. But how do you see this now with so yeah. many of the stars going, hey, I, I, don't, I don't want here anymore? Well, obviously, the, the, it's changing. You know, as a guy that was played for, what, I think seven teams. I lost count, man. Played for like seven teams, been traded so many times when GMs and teams told me there's no way they were going to trade me. And, you know, I've even been amnesty. I mean, I've been touched every, everything. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah, yeah. for me, as a player, as a former player, um, it's good for me to see these guys kind of taking their career into their own hands. Um, I, I wish that it could be done maybe differently because I think it's – I even been a guy that think that, you know, even, you know, you can find the right way to do the wrong things sometimes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. you can find a respectable way to do anything. But I do like that they are taking their career into their own hands. And if they want to play in Orlando or Detroit or Milwaukee or L.A., like they find a way to get that done. Um, And that doesn't always lend well to what our game has been um, and maybe even going forward to the future of it. So we'll see how it kind of shakes out. But that's what I've seen has, has, has absolutely happened. Okay, speaking of today's player, I want to do some rapid fire. I'm going to do names of guys playing now, and I just want you to tell me kind of the first thing you think about, all right? Mm-hmm. Durant. Man, unstoppable. Okay. Um, we'll do CP3. Vet. Nothing. He's a vet now. <laughs> Wait, he's so you think he's? I, it hasn't looked good when he's come back, but I, I don't know that I'm ready to label this as what he's going to be like the rest of his career. I, I'm not ready for that yet. I mean, I, I don't. I think he'll, he'll. I mean, he'll get better and play better. But you know, I just you know, I almost think that Houston plays too fast for Chris. Like Chris is more like get it up and down, oh, run, pick and roll, kind of orchestrate. You know. You know, uh, you know, kind of probe a little bit. Like they're like one play hit, boom, pass, boom, get out, get back. Get you know, they. I just think they play too fast for Chris. But now he don't even have the ball in his hands that much, so it's it's a difficult thing. All right, um, give me a little bit more on Lillard. Why you, why you have him right there with Steph? Well, I just think he's underrated. Even though I mean, this guy was first team All NBA last year. Um, but he don't really get that kind of credit and praise. But I just love his demeanor. You know, um, he competes out there. Even on the defensive end, he does compete offensively. Like, he's just an, he's an assassin. I love his demeanor out there. He's always, always positive with his team, which is what I love. I mean, I see a lot of great players pointing fingers and calling teammates out and calling coaches out and not having other players' backs like – they, they, they're they a good regular season team, but they always get beat in the playoffs. But you never see this dude, like, you always see him fighting for the squad. Um, his demeanor never changes. He makes big shots. Like, he's unselfish. Like, I love, I love everything about him. And most people don't talk about those intangible things. They just, you know, obviously he gets big numbers and he knocks down big shots, but it's those small things that make players – love playing with him because as we all know 
a lot of players don't like playing with some of these great players. You know what I mean? That's not the case with Dane or Steph. All right, Wiggins. The first thing, I, the first word I would think is just uh, potential. That sounds like incomplete. Well, I just I feel like Wiggins. There's more there, you know. Yeah. I feel like there's more there. I think he's um, he's really gifted. He's really talented. Um, I think that there's more in there, you know. I think he's all star caliber talent and potential. He's not an all-star caliber player yet, but I think that potential is there. And I would like for there to be somebody that can go get that out of him, you know, because I, I just, man, he, he, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a prototype. You look at his body, you look at his athleticism, the guy can shoot, the guy can go in there and finish. If he's, you know, I'm sure if he was determined, he can go be a, really good defender with his length and his athleticism. So I look there and I just see so much potential. All right, one more. This year's Paul George. Um, Man. That's two words. No, that's all right. I mean, you do, do, you know, rapid fire doesn't have to be one word every time. You know. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I think I, mean, I think MVP MVP candidate, which is. Do you see a big difference from him? Do you see a big difference I that do. everybody's talking about? I do. What I is do. it? I do. I see. I see. Well, first and foremost, the confidence. Um, the confidence. You know, he's learned how to play. Uh, with Russ, who is a ball dominant point guard, um, alpha male, he's learned how to play with that alpha male and be better than he's ever been, which, you know, is 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 a testament to kind of who he is, but everything is working. I mean, he's locking guys down. He's making plays that, I mean, he's just, he's an MVP candidate. I mean, a legit one. Not like, oh, he had a good week. Yeah, he's right. No. In the, he is legit all season long. MVP candidate for sure. I wonder if he'll get more votes because people just don't want to vote for Harden. Because as great as this Harden scoring thing is, I think there are other people out there who are like, yeah, but dude, are you kidding? A million shots a yeah. game, which which I don't think is, you know, I, I have my thoughts on Harden, but I also think it was a necessity and they won more games that way. You know, that's what I was going to say about James. Like, I feel bad for James because it's not like he woke up and said, I only want to play this way, I can only play this way, and let me go. No. He's trying to keep the team afloat. He is keeping the team afloat. He is, yeah. And by the way, he has to do it how he has to do it. And we haven't seen a guy play and get these kind of numbers in I don't know how many years. And it's like people looking at him like, yeah, but he's he weak, though. And whether you like how he plays or not, this dude is amazing. Maybe the best offensive player all around that we've seen in, I don't in, in decades, this yeah, is the real deal. I'll admit I don't even like it, but I I kind of respect it more than I thought I would. And I think you make a good point yeah, there that it almost got to a point where I'm like, all right, I feel bad now being part of the naysayer group. And it's not even naysayer. Like I'm not oh, knocking man, this dude. Are you dude kidding me? Amazing. Some of the pull ups, right? But then, 
if they had gone six and twelve, then I then you, the haters have a stronger case. But they were winning games the only way they could. Uh, hey, are you got Without two possible all stars? Yeah, no kidding. So you got what countdown this week? Are you Wednesday and Friday? I got no. I got a no. I just have. I'm calling the OKC Utah Friday, and then I got countdown Saturday. Oh, okay, awesome. All right. Well, hopefully we'll run into each other again um, out at the LA okay, studios cool. and uh, enjoy the call, man. I really appreciate it. All right. The Black Tux was part of the conversation today, by the way. One of the comedians started swearing and screaming about how much he loves the theblacktux.com. I'm not allowed to do that, but apparently comedians are killing it on their live reads. So, here we go. I'm not going to swear or try to be a comedian, but this company works. I've used it. They help me out big time with a weird last-minute wedding, um, so they can do the same for you. So, if you're going to be doing it big and going out to weddings, special events, and you want to look fresh, but it has to be convenient... That's where the theblacktux.com comes in. The Black Tux has awesome suits and tuxedos in all kinds of styles, and you rent them online. The Black Tux offers the kind of suits and tuxedos that would normally be wildly expensive to buy, and you might only wear it once, but with the Black Tux, you can do you and blow it out for your big one-time event. So try a new look. Do something different. Yeah, what's up with this? No tie, just shades. And take your style to the next level. With the Black Tux free home try-on, you can see the fit, and feel the quality of your suit months before your event. So then after you order, your suit's going to show up 14 days before the big event. And if anything's less than perfect, the Black Tux will send you a replacement right away. So this is for all of us that screw this up. And you're like, what's a cummerbund? Anyway, remember how simple returns are, because after you wear it, you turn heads, hey, check me out, then send it back three days after your event. Shipping is free both ways. Males are genetically just programmed worse than females on mailing stuff. Stand out at your event for the right reason, the Black Tux. And to get all this going and to get $20 off your purchase, visit theblacktux.com and enter the code Ryan, R-Y-E-N. That's blacktux.com, code Ryan. For $20 off your purchase, the Black Tux premium rental suits and tuxedos delivered. So I do want to talk about today's uh, media thing, Saruti. I I almost feel like obligated to do more sports than I have, um, but this isn't going to be a heavy sports one. By the way, we've confirmed Jonah from Veep. He will be taping with us um, maybe, I don't know, the next couple weeks. Because now we're trying to figure out how to align it with the the premiere of the last season of Veep, which is the end of March. So um, you know how you know how that stuff works. The Le'Veon Bell thing, I don't think anyone knows how that works. Uh, how many people are going to keep getting that wrong? I kept reading he was going to be franchise tagged. It made sense. There was leverage there. They'd still be able to retain some assets. And then the GM's like, no, nah, we're not doing that. That whole everybody... story, everything about the Le'Veon Bell thing, because first it was he had to play 11 games, whatever, to accrue yeah, right. a season. That was totally wrong. Six. Yeah, and and then now this, yeah, wrong. oh, they're going to get tagged, and he's gonna, they're going to trade him, and that's also totally wrong. Like, totally I, wrong. I don't understand. Like, <laughs> I, and I, I don't know. I I don't. I admit I don't know anything, so I'm just following what other people are telling me because I'm yeah, obviously not right. an insider, but it feels like everyone is always wrong on him. Yeah, I think Le'Veon Bell will be known as the story that was the most wrong all the time because – and you're right. For certain things, I hold myself to a standard. And then other things with NFL contracts, even though I, I feel like I'm the only one sometimes screaming about how fake they are, and more people have caught on to that. But with the Bell one, I just went along for the ride with everybody else. I'm like, if I've read that he needs to play six games to get an accredited season a hundred times, then that must be true. And everybody had it wrong, and then people kept trying to pretend that they had it right the whole time. That's so awesome that you worse. thought it was six. I thought it was 11. Like it, Then it was. Yeah. It didn't matter at all. No, you're thinking he could come back week 11. That's where you're getting 11 from, I bet. Yeah, to accrue a season, right? 
I don't like. Yeah, it. you're saying eleven games, but I think what you have in your head is is week eleven because it was only week six, eleven. Yes. Yeah. Right. So we're saying the same thing. Um, and then I go, oh wait a minute, so they can transition tag him? <laughs> okay. Why What's would they that? do that? Yeah, no, no, I knew what the transition tag was, and I go, okay, so that makes sense because so they could match and then trade him, kind of like what supposedly the Pats were going to do with Garoppolo. And I'm like, okay, that makes a ton of sense. And then today it's, yeah, you know, it makes a lot of sense. The Steelers are going to, they're just going to let him go. And I started reading all that stuff. There was going to be a fight with the NFLPA. There was a difference of five million on what that was going to be. There was going to be a team that was going to front load it that had more cap space than Pittsburgh. So basically, every time I read the Le'Veon Bell story that was wrong. I would read it and go, okay, that makes sense. And then it, would, then it would always be whatever I thought, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I guess that's what it is. And then you'd go, oh, all that stuff I just read last week is totally wrong about this. And then he tweets out free at last, free at last, God almighty, I'm free at last. Um, you know, whatever. I, the, the Steelers thing, I watch from afar and I thought anyone, Will actually made this point. I thought it was great. It's kind of, I mean, not that I hadn't thought of it, but I don't have a show to do it on. Uh, just because Antonio Brown can be right about Ben Roethlisberger doesn't mean that Antonio Brown's right about his actions either. 100%. <laughs> that's, that's, I still am always, whenever it becomes these public debates of who's right and who's wrong, uh, sometimes both guys are wrong. And in this case, I don't think Ben keeps himself in shape. I don't think he has the personality that's going to endear himself to other guys. I don't think he's the leader that you would expect. He's been terrific. Maybe he's declining. I think there's numbers that tell you he's declining. I've never really knocked him as the QB. But you can, dude, you can tell me five things I don't know about Ben Roethlisberger that make him look even worse. And I'm still going to tell you that the Antonio Brown stuff is crazy. So uh, we'll see, though, because a lot of football people early on said there's no way that Pittsburgh will eat that $21 million on their cap sheet. But my point was when the salary cap has jumped the way it has in the last five years, it's easier to kind of swallow some of this stuff, especially if you think you're going to get some sort of asset back. And the GM, of course, today after the Bell announcement was like, hey, we're not just going to give Antonio Brown away, which is fairly obvious because if you were running a football team or any team, where you're potentially going to trade somebody, you wouldn't go, hey, Shefty, yeah, tell them we are, we would take anything. We want to get ripped off. We are actually. super desperate. Yeah. Yeah. We can't get rid of this guy quick enough and we don't care how bad the package is coming back for him. I want to talk a little bit about today. So today was, uh, upfronts. I've never done the big fancy TV ones in New York and that's because I'm not that guy. I, and I'm, you know, for whatever, Reason, um, early on in my career, I was like, yeah, I don't think I'm ever going to be like one of those guys that's like in an upfront. That's a Scott thing. That's a Van Pelt thing. And he's perfect for those. He's awesome. So today, and it was asked a few weeks ago, like, Hey, if you're going to be in LA, there's this whole, um, upfront podcast thing that they're going to do. And Stephen A's hosting it. We want a bunch of NBA people to stop by and talk about the NBA stuff. And it was really cool. It was a really good theater up, um, close to Beverly Hills. And there's a, Part of the story that I, I, I want to tell you that I just I think is is classic. So Stephen A's like he's not going to screw around, you know. When he shows up, he's on his time. Like it's hey, you guys asked me to do all this stuff, and I'm going to roll in and I'm ready to go. And he was he was just he's he has to go out there and perform and turn on the switch and introduce all of us, and he's he's good to go. And, and as I've always said the whole time, Stephen I and I have always been fine. So he's hey, what's up, man? Hey, what's going on? Yeah, I flew in, blah, 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 blah. Windhorse shows up, chat with him. Ramona's there. It's great. 
And so we're all kind of getting ready to go because we're milling around and everybody's running long. And I watched a couple of the presentations before. And it's just kind of the thing like, hey, here's the order. Here's the slides behind you. Try to keep it tight. Keep it at 15, 20 minutes. And nobody does. And then when the first three go over by 10, then everybody's backed up. So everybody's kind of waiting around. But it's still fine. And it's good to see some of the people from Bristol that I haven't seen in a while. And everything's terrific. And this dude shows up who is a stand-up comedian. I just, whoa, I just opened up my phone. I'm getting blown up with texts. Should I read some of these live? <laughs> Who is it? Whoa. No, it's just always weird whenever you, you look at like your phone and, and you go, wait a minute, how do I have, how do I have this many, this many, like I just put my phone down two seconds ago to what happened. Okay. So there's this guy named, <laughs> I'm just double checking cause he's probably going to have a post up already. Um, his name's dude. I can't pronounce his last name. Is it? It's Bert Kreischer, I think. Okay, and the reason I know this this story, and trust me, this is going to make a lot of sense. So I see him because he's he's on with this other guy, Tom, who's a comedian, and they both have Netflix specials. And by the way, if you're a comedian that doesn't have a Netflix special, do you like how do the Netflix special comedians treat the non Netflix special comedians? Do you bring them takeout so they don't have to? I don't know. I I just feel like there's a lot of dudes with specials. Oh, I know so, who this guy is. Yeah, okay. Right. Is it, is it Kreischer? I don't know, but I know his face. Yeah. Right. Right. He's got a, he's got one up and he's making fun about being a dad. He's always got his shirt off the whole time. Um, but the, the origin of Bert is that when I was in college, you know, Vermont was considered at the time one of the biggest party schools in the country. And I remember in 93, we were there in the fall. We had this whole political science seminar was a 50 minute class and the guy got up there and spent almost the entire time talking about how it was impossible that UVM was actually the number one party school but he was giving us credit and by the way whatever formula Playboy magazine used back in the 90s for that it's absurd because I visited so many other campuses for college game day that hey Burlington's an awesome town I love it but there's absolutely no way there's no way 8,000 undergrads in a school where about four months it's below Kelvin it's just it's not possible it's not possible Especially when you start to go to some of these SEC towns and you're just like, so we're supposedly like more fun than this town is. Give me a break. But there was something everybody always kept track of because you're a teenager, early twenties and you're in college and you care about that stupid stuff like co-ed naked volleyball ch- t-shirts, you know, or Varnays. Varnays are still in. So Rolling Stone did this feature on this dude who was at Florida State, which considered the number one party school. And I think the concept was we want to talk to the number one guy there. And this was this dude, Bert and we studied this article in a deviant behavior class, some sociology class that was like specifically deviant behavior, and we talked about it. And, you know, at 21 or 22, you're like, all right, so this guy's like a fifth year or whatever, and he's just cruising around. It's talking about his escapades, and, you know, he's funny and all this different stuff. But it was like it was, it was a really good article for the 90s. Saruti would think it would suck now. <laughs> and so I brought it up. With Canel, because the kid was a Florida State guy, and we were saying, hey, we're going down to Tallahassee, we're going to do a show, and I had mentioned this article on the radio show, and so everybody started tweeting at us, being like, oh, you know, you should have him on, and all this different stuff, but the thing is, with the Florida State show, we had Jimbo on, we had like an AD on, it just wasn't going to be one of those shows where it was going to work out, okay? And for whatever reason, people were telling us he lived in Tallahassee, or you misunderstood. So, (laughs) I'm telling Windhorst... This story, and Windhorse has never heard it, and I'm pointing to the guy, and he's like, which guy? And, you know, he's wearing jeans and a black t-shirt, and I'm like, he's over there. 
And Windhorse is like, yeah, but there's two of them. Because the other guy was Tom, is it Segura, the other comedian? You can correct me or double-check that or, or get info on that. Because he's, he's pretty good. And then I go, it's the guy who's taking his shirt off right now who has no shirt on. Like that guy. So he had taken his shirt off kind of like to get warmed up to go out on stage. And he's, you know, 100% dad bod. And then as I was standing, so Windhorse is like, it was incredible that you told me that whole story and then to confirm who it was, it was the guy that was taking his shirt off in kind of like a hallway with everybody dressed up in suits getting ready to do this presentation. But look, he's a comedian, the other guys are comedians, it's fine. So as they come off, it's me, Stephen A., Ramona, Windhorse, and the two comedians, and then Bert takes his shirt off, is like, Stephen A., can I get a picture? <laughs> Stephen A.'s like, yeah. Yeah, we'll do, we'll let you do a picture. And they get in there and Stephen A's in the middle and he's like, Hey, what's up? And then Stephen A just walks right back to the corner. He and I make eye contact where I'm looking at him and he's shaking his head like, I don't want to deal with this right now. <laughs> I know exactly what he's thinking without even saying it. And then to Bert's credit, he was like, Okay, so yeah, just follow me and then we'll DM and keep in touch a bunch. <laughs> Stephen A didn't even acknowledge it. Nothing. He might, it's like he should have even, as if he had said it in another language. So the ESPN presentation goes on. Crowd goes nuts for Stephen A. Roaring applause. Ramona tells this great story about her 30 for 30 that's coming out in the Clippers ownership saga, which is really good. Uh, and then Windhorse goes out and I knew we were already long. So I'm like, okay, I'll just, you know, zinger here and I'll spend about two minutes. And then I have to throw it to a Levitard and Stugatz video. Jeez. And the whole point of this room is there's a couple hundred people that are programming people, that are buyers. It's an upfront, okay? There's no th – this isn't an audience that's watching a live podcast or you're necessarily your radio um, listeners or, or TV viewers, okay? This is not a fan group. This is industry people in a theater deciding whose presentation they like. So my role was you have to throw it to Levitard and Stu, for this video that's already pre-produced. So I go, hey, you know, blah, 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 ESPN. And I go, and two guys that have mastered never having to come to any of these things <laughs> to stay down in South Beach, Dan Lebetard and Stu Gotts from ESPN Radio. And they spent a minute promoting their podcast. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, what? And people started looking at each other like, what's going on? And Stu's like, we're better than Oprah. Download it. Subscribe. And we're like, yeah, our podcast, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. So I don't know if they didn't get it. And then Stu, I don't think he would have done anything any differently anyway if anybody had told him. But it was one of those things where like a couple people were like, what? What was that? Like, did he just tell the whole room of advertisers to just rate and review their pod? <laughs> subscribe, unsubscribe. Yeah. Hey, guys, can you subscribe, unsubscribe? Who are you guys with? Colgate? Yeah. Could you unsubscribe, subscribe, and just leave a five star? Don't even download it. We don't care. Although now the new metrics are actually, here's a thought, recording whether or not are people actually listening to your podcast. So that was just, that was too good. Um, maybe not the best story I've ever told, but it just was all these, I always love these little behind the scenes things to share with you guys of like Stephen AI looking and then he's like, I don't want to do this <laughs> with these dudes and I don't want to take a picture with this comedian with his shirt off. And then the comedian's like walking away going, yeah, yeah, make sure you follow me and then we'll DM a lot and we'll be friends. And it's like, no, no. Stephen A's funny, but he's not, he's not here for your games. That's so funny about like, you know, Stephen A kind of turning the Stephen A on because that it must be, you know, it's exhausting. obviously got to be exhausting to do. Yeah. And, you know, in person, like obviously he's doing it to a camera most days or in a microphone, but like to do it in person is like a whole nother deal, right? Because that's like, 
you know, you're in person acting at that point. And yeah, he's, I'm, he, not, I'm, not, I'm not saying he's acting. No, like no, he, he's he's good and he is who he is. But like, obviously, there's a there's part of him that like you know he ramps it up when he's on first take or when he's doing his show. Like he wants to make things sound important, and I get that. But man, to do that to do that in person or 24 hours a day is impossible. No, and I, I hope, and I think you were good to catch yourself there too, because I feel the same way. Like, there's guys that I think are phony. Stephen A's not phony. It's just when he's not, when he doesn't have to be that a performer on TV, he's just he's very subdued. He's really laid back. Like years, years of seeing him in the hallway and be like, "Hey, man, what's up? Hey, how's it going?" Or maybe he just never liked me, and I never realized it. But um, it was it was just kind of funny. It was it was just one of those funny things. What All happened? Right, so- what happened after Levitar after the Levitar and Stugatz video though? Like, did somebody else like go after them? Or was that the end? Stephen A said goodbye, but okay. I left. I I'd, I'd walked outside, and then we did a picture, and then I I bounced. So, but it is, uh, it's an incredible. You know, as I'm sitting here taping another podcast, it's incredible. Everybody trying to figure out where all this stuff is going, and different theories and different opportunities, and you know what's happening now. And this isn't exactly new, but you're seeing this is that every single celebrity, every single public figure thinks. Okay, I have to have a podcast now. So the market's becoming saturated, which could mean it's more competitive. But really, I feel like this kind of stuff weeds itself out because then a lot of people will do it and then go, wait a minute, I got to do this every week. I got to have stuff to say. <laughs> yeah, pass. Like, yeah, actually, usually people like write scripts for me or this isn't, I'm doing all this other stuff. Like I thought I had to keep up with everybody else that's in entertainment and I don't really want to do this and talk for 40, 50 minutes. And those people, Go by the way. Or I'll look at their podcasting and be like, oh, so you've done one in six weeks. So um, a lot of those people just weed themselves out. But it's it's really beneficial to anybody that has it kind of going on. And, um, you know, well, if you're into it and you're into doing it, you can, you can kind of grow in a way that you never could before. Back in the day in this industry, you had to wait in line. You just had to wait. You just had to wait in line. And now you don't really have to wait in line if you can come up with something that's unique, different, and actually really good. So there you go. A little lesson. Did you have another follow-up there? Because I know I kind of cut you off a little no, bit. No, that's it. We're good. I'm, okay, interested, I have a- I'm interested in you kind of like, you know, because I think a lot of people, you know, say that you're sort of hard around the edges, blah, 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 which we've discussed is not necessarily true. So you had a function where you're sort of selling, you know, ESPN radio and audio and yourself, like to me is sort of interesting because I don't think a lot of people see you in that light. They usually see you doing a show, right? And you you have a specific take on something, but like, you know, you could you can go up there and mix it up, you know, be No, like, I'm good be at that. I'm, I'm better at that than people give me credit yeah, for, for, but sure. I'm never I'm never on that list. I'm never No, cuz you're right ever. about Van Pelt. Like Van Pelt's right. the guy to go to. He's going to smooth, he's going to make everybody feel, you know, make everybody in the room feel awesome and it's he's going to be super personal and um, and everyone's just going to like him coming out of that. Not that you won't do that, but it's just something that like most people I don't think think of you as being able to do. No, and it's here's the thing: what always happens too is that I do those, and then I look. It's if you're talking for a living, it's not hard to find a way to throw on a suit and stand in front of a few hundred people and say a couple interesting things. And I actually didn't even really love the way that I did it because, um, you know, whatever it was two or three minutes, and I wanted to get moving because. People have been sitting there a long time, and I made my point, and I wanted to make it clear and concise, and I didn't want to make 10 points. I want to make, like, one good point and move on. But whenever I've done any of that stuff in the past for, like, corporate things, it's you know exactly where this is going. you always hear after the fact, like, you know, you know who surprised me <laughs> was Ryan. Ryan was really good. Yeah, a lot of the That's... marketing people here will be like, eh, Ryan's actually pretty good in front of people. Like, he's not that mean. <laughs> Weird. You're like, yeah, you know who man, really like, surprised us? It, it's always... It always happens. And I always tell all the salespeople, I go, hey, call me to help close. 
I'll get on the phone with somebody. I'll help you close because I know what it's like to be sitting there with a stack of leads trying to get deals done. All right. I know what it's like to try to sell health insurance to a bus company in Barton, Vermont. So, uh, there you go. That was really, I really brought that all the way back around, didn't I? I like that. Yeah. Okay. I have an idea. I'm going to pitch it to you. I'm going to pitch it to the audience. Okay? okay. I'm thinking, should we get a podcast email for this that you can check on? Cause whenever I've wanted to do life advice, the tweets are always kind of like people feel obligated to tweet right away. So they're not really thinking it out. I'm thinking we should have a show email account that you have access to, I have access to, but really you, because I don't want to read any personal emails. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll go through it. <laughs> uh, where we could do some life advice, but I'd say we, we pick it up, we, we kick it up. I'm saying pick it up, kick it up, they rhyme, either one, doesn't matter. Because back when I first tried to get into television, there was one reality show that I pitched. And it looked like it was going to work, but the problem was is I was coming home every day from ESPN and then the gym, and then I would be cold calling people. I would cold call people in the morning, or I would cold call people on the West Coast Uh, in the afternoon, and I was cold calling people that were life coaches because I wanted to cast a reality show just called Life Coach. There's been a million different versions of it, so this isn't the most original thing. But what I wanted was is for people to submit why they needed a life coach, and then at the same time, we would praise the people that were really great in the industry and we would also expose the people like why are you a life coach of anyone and that would actually be the funniest part that maybe some of the life coaches that we'd accept on for like that episode or that four-week stretch they would be worse than some of the people that actually wanted help because I really spent a lot of time on this life coach thing I was researching it I was checking out online seminars and you could just go to a seminar and get a certificate of fakeness, and then all of a sudden, you're just out there telling people that you're a life coach. And then there was this other girl who was making like 10 to 20 grand a week just holding conference calls <laughs> once a week. She was getting that much money once. She's a failed actress in Manhattan. Maybe she's a famous actress now. So I'm just, the whole industry fascinates me. I don't want to be one. I don't want one. But what if we suggested that at the end of every podcast... After we go through all of the submissions for why listeners want a life coach, we would then call them and then maybe tape four or five minutes, and we could even pick somebody for a month. Like, is that this, too much? No, I love I love that. I also I, just, I I love that part of your plan is to expose frauds too, because that's that's just right up our alley, pretty much. But, yeah, I'm I'm in a big fraud exposure. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. see, this is not I might be the fraud, okay? I could be the fraud here thinking that I'm going to give I know what my advice it's very harsh, it's very right to the point, but I always feel yeah, but like you don't I, claim like whenever we did life advice, like you never claim that you were like going to fix someone's life. Like you just say, hey, "Here's here's what I think you should do. Like do it or don't do it. It's not like a big deal." No, but, like not so, at all. Yeah, you weren't no. taking yourself seriously. Like a life coach that takes himself seriously and is just like wrong or is a fraud, <laughs> like that person I have a problem with. Did I ever tell you after Jackson Hole an executive pulled me aside and was like, Hey, I know I know this hasn't been fun for you. And I was like, No, man, it's it's cool. Like everybody gets it and we're we're okay, man. He's like, Okay, the question I have for you, the segment life advice. Oh, Do you think that's still appropriate? <laughs> I actually think we talked about the because I, I no we talked about yeah. it on when we did it because I kind of felt time. like I had to. I think you know? we skipped a week. I, I want, yeah, we skipped a week. <laughs> I think we skipped a week, and then we brought it back, and we were like, you know what? It, it, it goes back to the Rosillo School of PR. Like, just do it once. People talk about it, and then they'll, then they'll get over it after a week because that's what happens. We just move on. So everybody, yeah, right. everybody moved on. <laughs> like, oh, all right. 
Yeah, and that was the thing. And like a couple guys tried to make fun of me on, and that's fine. Like I yeah, we had people calling that would try to get a jab in. And right. Yeah, and whatever. look, I get it. I deserve it. You know, I made a mistake, but um, it was just and the person, the exec too, was somebody I like. I still like, and I like then. So it wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, come on, dude. It was just really funny because I'm like, dude, you don't think I haven't thought about that? But I'm not canceling the segment. I'm not like I didn't. I'm not Doctor Phil. And I bet you Dr. Phil has some issues. Yeah, but you, you know, know what? Exactly. Like the pe- the best people who should be giving life advice are the people that have gone through hard times in their life because the-, the people that have never had any adversity, what are they going to tell you? Like, you know what I mean? Like they're not going to give any good advice because they've never faced any adversity in their life. Okay, so here's the plan then. Will you come up with a, just a Gmail account? Yeah, we could actually probably I'll get tweet- an official ESPN one, I'm sure. This will be good. Okay, so let's do it. Let's open it up right now. Um, when we tweet out the account, we want you to submit what's going on in your life and we're going to pick I don't know if you're even a winner we're just going to pick someone and then I will talk to that person on the podcast for as long as I can go until I lose interest which could be immediately or it could be really fun and kind of a week to week soap opera in the last couple of minutes of the show and maybe everybody's going to hate it too and if everybody hates it then that'll make me think th- like there's some people listening right now going don't do this don't do this. here's what we're not going to do we're not going to cancel Chauncey Billups for Ted Okay, so yeah, don't our worry big guest of the week is yeah. you know, Brian from Montana. <laughs> Got some issues in his relationship. Yeah. Um, Tom is calling in again from Key Largo. Uh, you know what? Because you know who we've missed. We've mi- Mike from Chicago used to Mike always from call Chicago. in, and I've I, I I don't even know if he's alive. He died. We haven't heard. He hasn't called in any other show since then. So maybe we can get Mike on. Do you think Mike from Chicago's dead? No, but I mean. I don't know. I haven't heard. You of wouldn't him. be surprised if he's dead. Well, he didn't call on any other shows, so I, I unless that was just an, a total fake act, which is possible because he was. There was a little act in there. Yeah, there was a little act in there, but he was still clever enough that the act never. Normally, I don't like that stuff, but he was he was clever with it, and it was kind of funny, and it always and he didn't overdo it too much. At first, we were like, "Wait a minute, who's this guy?" Right? Because he wanted to be an accountant, but he wanted to he wanted to quit being an accountant so he could follow like. The string cheese incident or something. It was somebody newer than that, but it was something like that, right? Was he the guy who? What is it? The what was the the band that he wanted to follow? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. What, it was, it was the, what's the band's name? Uh, oh, what's the band's name? It was some ridiculous band. It was a jam band. Was it? Was it? Unc, was it? Umphreys McGee. Umphreys McGee. Yep. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Yep. Great call, yep. Saruti. Yep. Man, oh, I miss man. that guy. Yeah. Maybe Michael sent an email. Yeah. Maybe everything's up. worked out for Mike, and it doesn't matter. He doesn't. Need, and I think this is really none of this is for the person. It's for everybody else's entertainment. Yeah, that was the no, point of the no whole offense. Segment. Yeah, yeah. No offense to whoever gets picked, but you don't watch Wife Swap or any of that stuff because you want to see it go well, <laughs> right? So maybe we can help some. Maybe we'll save lives. I don't know how many podcasts are out there saving lives. Maybe we can be the first sports one. But I just feel like creatively. I owe it to the audience to do something a little bit different. And if it doesn't get in the way of the meat of the podcast, then who gives a, you know what? Yeah, so so I would say other it. than, you know, Pulse of the Nation and, you know, maybe like Who's the Jerk or that whole, or any of those deals, that was probably the everyone's favorite segment. Oh, it definitely events. was. Yeah. But it wasn't working out on Twitter. I, well, I'd say the five or six times we tried to do it for different questions, and I thought that would be so easy. Most of it didn't work, and I went, okay, this isn't really working, and I feel like creatively I haven't at least tried something a little different here because, um, you know, I'm doing the podcast, but then as soon as I get done with this, I'll be up all night typing. Self-brag. 
not even a humble brag bragging work brag. or maybe maybe i'm not bragging because actually i'm not looking forward to it but um but yeah, yeah that's it. it let's do it I'll, all right I'll that's a podcast show email we'll tweet it out okay show email <laughs> we'll tweet it out it's a new life coach segment on the podcast cannot emphasize enough that it will be at the end of every podcast and when we pick somebody based on the profile that we like and what they say in the email we're going to check in with them from time to time probably not like every single week because this podcast is hard enough to do with you doing will show as well but um we'll make it work we'll make it work all right Love that's it. the plan real quick before we say goodbye prediction for how many weeks until i go this is stupid i don't want to do it anymore Well, see, I think the some of the stuff with you is, well, I don't know, I don't, I don't. I'm not trying to take a shot. Some of the stuff with you is like getting it started. Like, how do we get it started? You know what I mean? And then I think once it's rolling, it's always good, and it ends up being fine. Um, yeah. Like I've been yeah. trying to get you to do this um, this social media thing for like two months now. Yep. And yep. Yeah, totally let you down. Yeah. <laughs> and we're uh, getting there. We're getting there. Though. And I did it for Simmons, and I saw immediately how much of a huge it response does. it was. Yep. Because I just added his thing to my story. And I downloaded the app. I did the whole thing. And you sent me the clip. And I was like, we're ready to go. So I t- how about we do this? I will bet you a dinner that if you send me the clip again from this one for me to put it on Instagram. You will send it out. I will send it out by the end of Friday. Sundown Friday. Okay. Cause, because I like I think, saying sundown. Because I think with, li- with something like like this life advice thing, like once we get it rolling, it's going to be fine. Like people are going to know the deal, and right. they're going to like it, right. and it's going to be fine. And like you said, you can do it for song? a minute, or you can do it for ten minutes. Yeah, the first one is going to be longer than a minute. All right, but we're not going to let we're not going to let this thing take over. Although, what if it does? What if people? In, what if in a year from now I'm doing an upfront and they're like, "This is Ryan Rosillo from the Life Coach Podcast." <laughs> yeah, we've totally changed from the sports podcast. We are no I longer start, a sports. Yeah, we're a life coach podcast with, with that does a little bit of sports. I'm sitting there with a fat sky dweller and a self tanner. <laughs> <laughs> life coaches is always they always look like sick veneers. So I don't think I want veneers. I've checked that out. All right, that's another topic. We're going to table that veneers overrated. That'll be on next week's Rosilla Show podcast. Please subscribe as many times as you want. Rate and review, and uh, we'll keep this thing rolling. Thank you as always. 